You know, I agree with that lyric. I just can't help but feeling I'm living this life of illusion. Because one of the things you're going to find out today is that you have been living a life of illusion. And of course, we're going to be talking about the alchemical process, nuclear transmutation, and I'm going to give you the secret of the gold man at the end of this. I'm really hoping this will be the finale of this series because honestly, I don't think my mind can take much more of this. I have gone down some rabbit holes and learned a whole bunch of stuff that, well, it's beyond the pay grade of this podcaster. But I think the Lord really shows us the things that we need And at the end of the day, this series is for you to have a much better spiritual discernment in the world, even by physical signs. And of course, the tagline of the show is to live right in the real world. Well, this is where the... uh, where it really comes to roost. It's the, you know, are you going to put your foot down on the cast and go one way or another? And the real world has been hidden, quite honestly. We live in a multi-dimensional world. You yourself are multi-dimensional as you are spirit and You are currently physical. And in the beginning of this series, we talked about some stones and, you know, it's leading towards the philosopher's stone, if you know the meaning of the word alchemy. And we are talking about the precious stones. And we talked about in the garden, you know, right, right away, it talks about this mist, this dew, and then it's the formation of man out of the element of the earth with God breathing his spirit into the man. And immediately following that, it talks about the rivers flowing out from the trees of life. And there were minerals in the land and there was gold and there was delium and there was onyx. Now, I want to just say this right up front from a Christian, a biblical perspective, someone who's looked at just about every scripture uh, pertaining to these elements. And we're going to talk about the elements even more in this one. But let's just talk about the stones and put that aside for a little bit. Now, silver and gold are going to be very important, and they're very important biblically throughout the entire Bible. But words have more than one meaning. And you're going to discover that today as well. But as far as the stones go, you see, the occult has put a lot of intent and energy into saying that some of these stones have power and stuff like that. And some of them do have uses. Like we can use rubies for the refraction of light and lasers and stuff like that. Don't get me wrong. There are uses, but they of themselves do not have power. 
and they of themselves are not bad. You see, when you look at the pictures of heaven and we look at the layers of the beautiful stones that reflect the glory of God, you see, his throne sits upon the majesty and the beauty of all the things that he created. But Satan wants people to look at stones like, put your trust in this crystal. It will heal you. Put your faith in onyx. It will protect you from evil spirits. And then Satan can, has a doorway to dispatch his demons because there was a spiritual opening in your life if you put trust into those things. Do not fear them, for they have no power. The Lord's throne sits upon all of these things. Satan, his job, as described, is to steal, kill, and destroy. What does he steal? Well, he wants to steal the blessings of God from your life. And he wants to steal your soul by keeping you from choosing God. He wants to kill you before you can choose God. And he wants to destroy everything that was made of God. This is going to get deep, folks. I have a uh, ton of notes. Normally, I can write down about four sentences, and that gives me an hour because of all the research I've done. Uh, I've got a couple pages of notes here, and I have a video that I'm going to share with you that I think is going to be extremely revealing, particularly because, do you remember my, uh, my series, New Goggles? You remember that? And the whole idea was to deprogram from what the world has taught you, what Pharaoh has taught you specifically, and to see the world through God's eyes. And if you can see the illusion, then you can see things for what they really are, as God does, because Satan has never fooled God, not once, never will. So that really is the purpose of this. And before I get into more into the illusion and things like that, let me just read, because right before taping, a lyric of a song came to mind. And boy, is it fitting. It's one that you're all familiar with. I trust every one of you. It's a song called Stairway to Heaven. And just in the second and the third line, all that glitters is gold. And she's buying 
a stairway to heaven. Then I'll just skip down. There's a sign on the wall, but she wants to be sure because sometimes words have two meanings. In a tree by the brook, there's a songbird. Actually, I won't get into the birds. That's a whole other thing. There's um, Also, there's a feeling I get when I look to the west and my spirit is crying for leaving. And then it goes on to say, and it's whispered that soon, if we all call the tune, then the piper will lead us to reason. A new day will dawn for those who stand along. There's so much more in it, and I don't want to give much time to that. But words have more than one meaning. Let me first define for you magic. Magic is the art of illusion in the physical. In the spiritual, it is wielding spiritual forces. More specifically, going to deities, fallen angels, and asking them, to do your bidding. There are different types of magic. Of course, there is word magic, where you speak the word. And I'm just reminded as I say this, words are much more powerful than anyone can expect. Remember, the very first words of the Gospel of John in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And remember, God spoke things in the creation, but then he formed other things out of his creation. So words are powerful, and there's word magic. Why do you think we have our language changing right before our very eyes, and they've changed the meanings of words. The word gay originally means to be happy. Now it means to be homo. Do you see? They're changing all of the words. You know, when you listen to Michael Jackson's song, he's bad. You know, bad means good. The inversion. This is magic. And it's part of the transmutation of society. How else are words used? They're used in chaos magic. Chaos creates confusion, and they want to bring order out of chaos. Again, this is word magic. There is also 
ritual magic. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that today as well. well. I guess we're talking about all of these. We're going to talk about ritual magic. And I just want to give a note here. Um, you know, a bunch of people, and we've seen pictures of ritual magic, and is there something about, you know, standing inside the circle and stuff? Well, that's, you know, that's beyond my pay grade. I'm sure there's something to it because they all do it. Okay. There's a protection, whatever. But do you think that there's power in people holding hands naked, walking around in a circle, doing a ritual of whatever kind? You know what? Maybe, maybe, I don't care. What it is about, listen to this. It's about your will and your intent. Satan cannot create. He can steal, kill, destroy, and he does it by copying, and he does it by deceiving. So when people are doing their woo-woo, does he have their will? Yes, they're willingly doing it. Does he have their intent? Where's their heart? Yes, their intent is all focused on the one thing. Spiritually, there's power when we pray, and when more than one are gathered, the Lord says he's sure to hear it. Do you not think it could be the same in the forces of evil? By the way, the point of the ritual is, again, your will and your intent. And the deeper you go into a ritual, the more intent and the more will you have. But do you see that that's also the inversion of our salvation. What does it take for someone to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ? It takes your will to choose him and you have intent on following him. You have to have that intent. You have to be genuine. Oh, for, for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, I make, I'm trying to make this as simple as possible, a very complex subject, but your will and your intent. There's also sigil magic. And sigil magic is essentially, and I'm just giving you simplistic forms. I'm not trying to teach it here. But people will do drawings and they'll put things into art form. But they put their, obviously they willingly do it and they put their intent into it. And that symbolism, those symbols that are created that are all around you in the entire world, everywhere, the world is plastered 
with it. And inside of each one of those, inside of each one of those major corporate brand logos and everything, they've prayed, they've put their will and their intent into it. <clears throat> and in the spiritual, it can be very powerful. But you know, in the physical, it does not harm you unless you buy into the illusion. Because illusion in the physical is not real, and it's exactly as described. It is an illusion. But the great magician's trick is only an illusion if it eludes you. Let me give you an example. Nike is, the, I think, the biggest selling brand in the world of shoes. And I'm not going to get into what their logo means. That's besides the point. But you all know what that logo is. And for a lot of people in the world, obviously, if it's the number one shoe brand in the world, that logo, that sigil magic that has worked into that logo has worked because now that person desires, oh, no, 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 I don't want Brooks shoes. I want Nike. I want this. And then they might even place their idol on top of it. I want the Jordan Nike. Sigil magic. And then there's sex magic. Obviously, I'm not going to get into too much detail in this, but just for quick definition, what is it? It's your will. It's your intent with the power of creation. Again, for those who have ears, let them hear. Um, it's also... We talked about art and drawings, sigil magic. I also want to talk about, you know, there's other forms of art. Let's just talk about music and movies for a moment. Because there's magic in it, and I want you to understand it. By the way, did I tell you we're going to go through an ancient document from 1677 <laughs> in just a couple minutes. And I'm going to show you something that is going to blow your mind and you're not going to see the world's the same. I'm, I won't. I'm trusting you won't as well. So let's talk about music first. What is music? It's frequency. 
frequency can have a dramatic impact on your emotion. And your emotion can direct your intent. Do you see how it's all fitting in here? How does it do that? Well, let me just give you practical examples. I know that each one of you can think of a song that when I hear that, it just makes me so happy. It does. It brings me to that place. I'm happy when I hear that song. And yet, when you hear other songs, it might remind you of something tragic in your life or something like that. And the music has such an impact on you. And by the way, music even has an impact on God. He loves when we worship him. It's music. Heaven is going to be filled with music. In fact, all of creation plays music to God constantly. All the stars in the universe are singing praises to God. It's frequency. But altering the frequency can add anxiety. It can add fear, unsettledness. It can add all kinds of things. And it's been used as a weapon against us. And it's everywhere. Sound is everywhere. Things are engineered. You know, the sound of your car is engineered. Then there's movies. Movies are specifically designed to transport you out of your life and into another dimension so you forget about your life for a little while, for an hour and a half, and you get pulled into another dimension. Have you ever walked into a dark room and seen the beams going from TV to the person sitting there watching it and just looked for a moment and you see the person who's watching the TV, their eyes glued to it as the dancing lights penetrate their eyes, the window to the soul. And every good movie has the element of music behind it. Try this experiment. Look, I was in the business, folks. I used this as demonstration and made a lot of money by knowing the power of the audio, video, and the frequency. And one of the best examples I would use in my demos, it was, it was solid gold. In fact, I used to say that. This is gold. <laughs> true story. I didn't plan on saying that. But it's true. See, I bring people into a custom theater like one they could build in their home for $100,000. And it had an awesome projector, an awesome surround, and all the whole room had, 
um, acoustical treatments so the frequencies would be just right. The bass would be thundering. And the lights in the room were all automatic. As soon as you pushed play, the lights dimmed down. I'm just I'm gonna tell you what I did. And it wasn't evil what I was doing. I was just selling an experience that you could buy for your home if you wanted that experience. But I used to show, and it's odd because everyone else would use these, you know, other clips like an avatar or something like that. You know, look, the video is so good. People don't buy exceptional colors on a screen. They buy experiences. I used to use the movie Seabiscuit. And I used the conclusion of the movie. It's black and white. There's music. There's still images. And I, it's about a four-minute clip I used to use in the movie Seabiscuit, the end of the movie. And if you just watch that four-minute clip from about when the, you know, the, the build-up to the race, it's a couple minutes and it's still shots and it's reminding you of everything you've seen previous in the movie. <laughs> so all those emotions from the whole movie have brought, brought up into this build-up for the final scene that's very mundane. And then it's the horse race and the adrenaline and everything's going and the music comes in. And at the end of it, you are in tears. You are in tears. And you know what I used to do? At the end of the final scene, I would pause it and I wouldn't say a word. I would leave people in the dark for about 30 seconds, maybe longer, as long as I could see their body language suspended disbelief was created and then i'd turn the lights on and there i want that i want that experience they went through an entire emotional journey and then they willed to buy it was i doing magic <laughs> i pray i wasn't i was just a good sales guy I was really good. You know how hard I have to work not to be a sales guy on this program to you? Because I don't want to use manipulative tactics. But here's the other thing I wanted to say just about the movie and the music. If you take that clip and, and each one of you knows of a movie or there's a particular scene in a movie where you're going to have tears coming down your eyes. Go back and watch that because you know it'll make you cry every time. Then mute the sound. You won't cry. The frequency. Okay. I'm going to get to the clip in just a moment. <laughs> Uh, you know what? I apologize. I, I, this show is going to be a little bit longer than I wanted to. Before I get to the clips, there's a couple things I want to do. Speaking of reminiscing, when I was teaching seminars, and, and honestly, I was teaching biblical stewardship, you know, like that course I have up on Right On You. 
on biblical stewardship, uh, creating wealth through stewardship. It's on right on you. <laughs> didn't didn't plan to do this commercial, but right on with the letter U. Uh, dot com. Um, I used to teach about how powerful you are. You see, you are made in the image of our Creator, but yet you were made from the elements of the earth, right? It was out of the sand that you came. And God breathed his life into you. But what is the main elements that you're made of? Yes, your carbon. That's true. That's why they want a carbon tax. They're taxing you. They want to eliminate carbon. They say it out loud. Word magic. <laughs> can't make this up. I, I, I hope you watch this more than once because I'm dropping a whole bunch of stuff into this. <clears throat> you are made of carbon, that's true. But what is the main element that makes you up? Well, the majority of you is water. Water. What is the most powerful element on the elemental table. It's hydrogen. H2O. Hydrogen, hydrogen, oxygen. You need a flame or you need oxygen to ignite hydrogen. So there's a flame. Now we have a water and we have the flame. Remember, this was called the alchemical nuclear transmutation. Also, uranium is used for nuclear. And in fact, the first atomic bomb, apparently, I don't know if I believe everything that they say. <laughs> I've never built one but it was enriched uranium. And that's what they say they currently use for nuclear power, enriched uranium, which creates radiation. Um, a bunch of stuff. But the atomic bomb, for instance, that was dropped on Japan is not powerful at all compared to hydrogen. And you hear Trump talking about the bombs and stuff that they have today. You know, hydrogen bombs are 1,000 times more powerful than the atomic bomb. Did you know that one person has enough hydrogen in them if the energy was tapped that 
one person could power the entire country of Canada? The amount of hydrogen that's in you? A couple guys my size could probably do the USA. <laughs> you are very, very powerful. Now that power is not meant to be used in the way that we've seen it used in the world. But just know how much energy is actually in you. So when Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, he is going to use your energy. He's pulling upon your energy. When people go to events like we saw at Astro World, the ritual there, or the ritual now at the Dojo Cats, and the Taylor Swift, or have you seen Metallica? Their new ritual that they're performing this year? Have you seen it? They're pulling on that energy. And one of the most powerful examples is Mecca. Watch a video of Mecca. Do they have the will and the intent of all those people like-minded with energy that they're pulling? What are they doing at CERN? They're taking particles, atoms, and they're smashing them together. And it goes in that circle. And there's a whole bunch of people with will and intent that are putting it together. And guess what? By us not standing against it, not saying stop those experiments, we're complicit. It's okay. It's the devil's world. It's okay. To not stand against it. That takes a certain kind of energy as well. What does that saying go? If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Um, okay, I'm going to finish up on <laughs> elements. We're going to take a shift into something completely different here. We've talked about um, earth elements, the precious stones, the sand, and we've talked about the water. And I want to talk a little bit about the fire and the wind, because you see these four elements are the power elements of the secret occult knowledge. So I just want to address them for a moment. 
Um, obviously, we get baptized in water. So there's something there, right? There's something there. Um, of course, we don't worship the earth or anything like that, but there are God gave us everything on earth that we need so we can live healthy and maintain. He's given us everything. I'll come back to that in a moment. I want to touch on the wind because there's a curious scripture. Now, it's not that curious. But John 8, Gospel of John, um, chapter 3, sorry, chapter 3, verse 8. The wind blows where it wants to, and you hear the sound of it. But you don't know where the wind comes from or where it is going. It is the same with every person who is born from the Spirit. I'm not going to decipher that for you. I want you to be the Berean. And some of you will be brave and say what it does, what that means in the comments. And maybe you can teach me something. I'm not sure most of you can. The wind blows where it wants and you hear the sound of it. But you don't know where the wind comes from or where it is going. It is the same with every person who is born of the Spirit. And let me just address the fire as well. So we have all four elements covered. And we're going to talk about fire. In fact, we're going to conclude with fire. And you're going to be uplifted at the end of this. Oh, I have something so good at the end of this. Please hang on. Um, give me one second here. Yes, here it is. From 1 Corinthians 3, verse 13. Each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it but it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So isn't it funny that it says it will become manifest almost like your will and intention make things happen. Except brothers and sisters as Christians, we pray to our God when we're born again. We have the will and intention. We have intention and we ask him that his will be done. We ask, we don't tell. For the day will disclose it. What is the day? Well, that's light. This is going to come into play, folks. That's light. 
<clears throat> you know, you cannot see unless there's light. Someone's going to hear what I'm saying. You cannot see unless there's light. For us, God is our light. <clears throat> you cannot see it unless you know God, unless you know his word. And it will be revealed by fire. Remember the fiery stones, the light of God's pure reflecting through the stones. And the fire will test what work each one has done. It will test what each one has done. Remember I said earlier that gold and silver are really important. Let me just put forth an elemental thought. We have Jesus, his life, he was betrayed. He was traded for 30 silver coins. So Jesus, in that moment, was silver. You see, that was a transmutation. When Judas sold out Jesus, think of the transmutation of Judas's mind from following and serving the Son of God to selling him out willfully and intentionally. I haven't even gotten to the show yet. <laughs> I don't want to end this and add another part. Sorry, I got to turn my phone off. Too many people are calling. Like I get distracted. Okay, I just can I just take a break and would you give me liberties? Has it been good so far? Do I get can I get a thumbs up on the video? Maybe you'll share it. Share the series. Um hey, one thing, you know, as I was just thinking, you know, God, you know, the earth, wind, and fire and water. God gave us everything that we needed. He did not leave us without anything. That's why we don't need to desire anything from the devil or from his pharmacia. And one of the things that I'm super excited about, and I'm excited to tell you this, is uh, let me tell you the story how this came about real quick. The show's going to be long anyway, so. <laughs> 
You know, recently I shared with you that my friend Gary had passed and uh, he was in the hospital and he was dying of cancer. And I desperately wanted to get, you know, these, uh, these mushrooms to him. But you see in the hospital setting, they won't administer something, even if it's food and it really is food, but they won't administer it. It's in a pill form. No, no, you can't compete with our pharmacia. <laughs> they don't know. They'll have to test it. We'll get back to you after he dies. That sort of thing. And I was fortunate enough to be talking to, you know, one of the big wigs at ROR dot pet club 247.com and i was thinking and i said man can i just give you a product suggestion now, i'm pretty good at this stuff i think outside of the box and he goes oh sure <laughs> sure what is it i said well you know how you like you make the dog biscuits and the mush ponies and stuff like that why don't you make a delicious gourmet cookie with these mushrooms for people that way, you know, I could give, I could bring cookies into my friend in the hospital. And you know, his name is Gino, by the way, you know what he said to me? He goes, Jeff, we just put it on our website. We've been working on it for a while. And actually the guy who came up with the formula, which is all human food grade uh, stuff for the, for the pets, you see, he had a really big cookie business and he uses all natural ingredients. And he sold his cookie company for millions and millions of dollars, this guy. But he had a thriving cookie business and he still has the recipes. And so we have mushrooms in double chocolate chip cookies now um adults two a day is suggested if if you have a dose of the cancer or something like that i'm gonna say eat the whole bag that's right eat the whole bag there's no negative ingredients they're they're just small <laughs> they are delicious cookies mm. 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 I'm not making that up, folks. <laughs> they really are delicious. For something packaged, you know, sealed, you taste the chocolate. You taste the fluffiness, but there's a crispiness to it as well. This was a cookie that made this guy millions and millions of dollars. And they are delish. And one of the beautiful things about these cookies is a lot of kids, for instance, they don't, they don't want to take pills, but you want your kids to have the best immunity system possible. So it fights off all this different disease naturally. You going to have trouble getting a kid to eat some cookies? I don't think so. I don't think so. And there's one other thing I want to say about this. These are delicious. And you get the mushrooms in them. Two a day for an adult. 
Another thing that I've been asked about quite frequently about the mushrooms, I obviously field a lot of questions. I see a lot of testimonies out there. Um, I've told you that from taking the clarity, and I think you can even see it since I started taking the clarity, my shows are smarter. <laughs> they just are, right? But I get asked frequently, you know, the green bottle or the yellow bottle, the, the, uh, which contain the Corollius Variscolor, you know, specifically for your immune system. I get asked, do you feel a difference? And the truth is, and I've been honest with people, I don't really feel a difference because I was, I've been healthy. I've never really been sick, you know, never had to go to the hospital or anything like that. And, uh, but I, I feel good, you know, I would say, but I was taking two capsules a day. Um, what happened to me since getting these cookies is I've upped my dose. And part of how I've upped my dose, this is big too, folks. It's by having this Kings Canyon coffee blend with the mushrooms. So you can have, and you have to understand that this is a bit expensive. I think it's about 40 bucks for, for this uh, thing of coffee. And, you know, depending on how much you drink, um, you know, if you have just one cup, you know, you'll probably get, to, I don't know. I haven't, uh, it's, it's 12 ounces. So I don't know, probably two weeks worth, but you're not only buying premium coffee, you're mostly buying it for the mushroom, right? So you could have a coffee, which is delicious and a cookie <laughs> and you're getting what God gave us. I, I, I'm not trying to sell God or anything like that, but listen, this is a naturally occurring thing that has over 400 studies that say it works and is done by all the bad people, <laughs> you know, like the, the CDC, the Yales, the Harvards, all these people, coffee and cookies, folks. And now that I've upped my dose, I can say that I am feeling the effects of them more. Um, it's hard to describe, but uh, definitely just my body just feels more healthy. So perhaps there was some damage in there and, Having two a day was not enough for me. Uh, but go to ror.petclub247.com. Give the cookies away at Christmas. You know, you bring a gift, you get invited over to someone's house or for holidays. I don't do Christmas anymore. Uh, but you know what I mean? You can gift this to people. And if, if you are able to, buy enough to love your neighbor because you are going to run into people who are sick. And I have. And I'm giving it away. I'm not asking. See, listen, if, if it heals you, come back and give me 300 bucks for the uh, for the month's worth of mushrooms. If it didn't work, it's on me. Because you know what? That's sowing and reaping. That's how God's kingdom works. Sowing and reaping. Okay. Let me see. <laughs> Thank you for that long extended commercial break. Um, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go into this video now.
And what this video is, actually, you know what, it just, <laughs> I'm going to just pause here in the recording and I'll come back in a minute because I want to set it up and I think I need to just refresh for a second. Okay, I have to be honest with you. I had to stop for another cookie. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. <laughs> These are so delicious. It's dangerous, folks. You can't just have one. <laughs> you can't. You're poor kids if you only give them one. <laughs> but one is all that's required for a kid. Yeah, two for an adult a day. Um, yeah, so I, I had to have another cookie. I should have walked these out of the room, actually, is what I should have done. We're going to get into a book now called Mutus Liber. And essentially, this is the book without words. This is a illustration of the alchemical process of lead to gold in illustrative form. The Philosopher's Stone. Of course, this all goes back into Kabbalah, into Solomonic magic. So you might think, why am I going to show you this? Because God gave me revelation of what it is. And you can decide whether that's true or not yourself, but I'm going to tell you what it is. So you'll watch this or listen uh, because it's going to be narrated and I'm going to be cutting in. Uh, for those of you who are listening on Podbean, uh, you're missing the images. I will post this, or you can search it out. It comes up very easily. It's called Mutus, M-U-T-U-S, Liber, L-I-B-E-R. And essentially, this is drawn. It came from the year 1677. There have been a couple reprints of it. Um, a couple interesting notes about this is there's basically 15 different pictures, but it's a whole bunch of different plates to be printed on. Uh, very expensive in those days uh, with a lot of attention. They had to make plates, you know, to print this. And with all the work and detail that went into this, there were only ever 300 copies of it made and yet to this day it's one of those things that has hugely impacted the occult world and i'm going to tell you something i'm not going to go into it right now but so this brought me down a very interesting rabbit hole, which took about 15 hours, by the way, called The Mystery of the Full Cacini. The Mystery of the, sorry, Mystery of the Full Cini. 
So this, what we are going to see, because it's the book without words, is visual art sigil magic and the mystery of the Fulkini is really word magic but it's hidden <laughs> in symbolism and artwork but the whole mystery behind it I'm spoiling it for you right now is it's word magic and what I'm going to spoil for everybody now, and I'm going to give you the secret of the gold man, because this has never been about lead to gold. You have to understand that. These, speak, these people speak in symbolism. What's the devil's agenda again? Steal, kill, and destroy. So, you know, someone who's not initiated, but is just seeking power, might stumble upon this. And, oh, I can transmute lead to gold. Oh, the attractiveness of that. I could be rich. I could be powerful. It's never been about the metals. And then there's the initiate who sees this stuff and is trained and coached in it. And what the initiate sees is that it's about the Kabbalah. It's about you becoming gold. It's about you becoming the gold or God man. That's what the initiates see. But I kid you not, <laughs> when I was in the shower prying, prior to doing this show, and maybe it's me being in the element, I don't know. <laughs> Dancing around naked in the water. Don't give me, don't get a visual on that. <laughs> I wasn't dancing, folks. But it just came to me. This work and this alchemy is not for the person. Yeah, it is for that person who just wants, oh, I can find out how to make gold from lead. I could be rich and powerful. Yeah, it's for that person because it gets them away from God supplying their need and God being their blessing. And I guess it is also for the initiate because it helps make the initiate God. As you go up your chakras in Kabbalah, and masonry is Kabbalah, folks the Rosicrucians, it's all the same stuff. You see, the devil has packaged this into every different arena. You can imagine you're into sports. It's all over sports. You're into science. Science is littered with this. It's all 
his illusion and his magic to keep you from seeing the truth. If you're into the arts, it's there for you. It's everywhere. But let me tell you what God showed me. Yes, it's for that person who wants the greed. Yes, it's for the initiate who wants to become the God and follow up in the brotherhood fellowship. But here's the intent of documents like this and the secret of the uh, Fulkini was only 300 copies of that as well, and one of the most extensively powerful things. Here's what I believe the Lord gave me. The real audience, the reason why it's in such limited supply, it's because the real audience is for the illuminated ones. And I want you to look at these pictures and listen to the commentary. The commentary is very descriptive for those of you listening. And know that this is actually their instruction on how they are to be the puppet masters over the world for the transmutation of society into the gold man, which I'll reveal towards the end. Not the very end, because I'm leaving the very end on a good note, all right? So this is Mutus Lieber, the wordless book, word, wordless book of alchemical transmutation the website uh, that I'm pulling this from is called uh, Esoterica. The gentleman is Dr. Something. I forget his name. Um, if you go back and watch it or you find his channel, you'll find it. I'm not going to recommend, although he, he's certainly knowledgeable. Uh, he certainly studies this. He's definitely scholarly. And you're going to hear that. He's super smart. Um. For those of you who are just listening, I will point out for no particular reason <laughs> that he has a, a small cap on, you know, in the back of his head. So, or so it appears from the video. It's hard to see, but it appears that way. And he's going to be describing the 15 different visuals and some of the pages have multiple pictures on them, kind of like a comic book form. So there's 15 pages, but on some pages there's multiple pictures. And I'm going to be cutting in and just pointing out some of the important things to tie in what has what we've been learning throughout this series and then i pray that god will give me rest after this i can probably have a nap after this although i'm too high from the cookies <laughs> they do give you energy there's there's that all right um let me share the screen
Um, let me, it's probably best I do it that way. For those of you who are watching, you'll be able to see the illustrations. And uh, here we go. It's right at the beginning of him describing plate by plate. And as I say, I'll cut in from time to time. Let's turn to the Mutus Liber, the silent book, the wordless book, plate by plate. The first plate seems to place the setting just at the breaking of dawn, with the bulk of the scene surrounded by thorny roses, with one bud facing the viewer and the other facing down. Roses, of course, are typically symbols of secrecy at this time. Two angels are seen descending or ascending or both down and up Jacob's ladder blowing horns. Apparently, they'll wake the sleeper on the bottom right. Like the biblical Jacob, he's resting his head upon a stone, perhaps in the same vein, and doesn't know that the area he's sleeping in is holy, thus mistaking the sacred for the mundane all around him. There's also water rushing in all around him. We'll come back to that. The central text is the longest string in the whole book, with the Latin reading something like the silent book, in which, nevertheless, the entire hermetic philosophy is provided in hieroglyphic characters, sacred to the god, most merciful, thrice great, and best, dedicated to the sons of art alone, the name of its author is Altus. Okay, so the thrice god, the triune god, um, they're not talking about the same god we serve, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Just want to point that out. And also notice Jacob's ladder, the stairway to heaven, and the stone under Jacob's head, and the waters around. Do you remember that scene from Genesis that we started with? Um, there's the rose. I don't want to get too much into detail and, and, and the, but there's, a, there's a few scriptures that he rhymes off here real quick. So I'll let it go into that. And by the way, the angels ascending or descending, coming down, you know, awake, oh sleeper, uh, they are blowing the trumpets. Yeah, I have more comments. So just keep it going. Now, that's a rather bold claim on the part of the text, and there's also a nice little wordplay there on God being thrice great, seemingly a reference to both the Christian trinity, but also, of course, through the thrice greatness of the patron sage of alchemy, the thrice great sage Hermes Trismegistus. Just beneath and to the left of the title run is a kind of maybe a little Kabbalistic warm-up puzzle just to get you in the mood to decode some alchemy. The string of numbers and letters there seem odd at first, but when read backwards, or perhaps in the direction of Hebrew, it's clear they're references to the Bible. That is to say, Genesis 28, 11, and 12, Genesis 27, 39, Deuteronomy 33, 18, and 28. Okay, so I just want to say, um, literally, for those of you who are listening, if you're, it's written backwards. The scriptures are completely backwards. So, um, you know, Genesis, well, it would say uh, 82.neg, okay, if we're reading from left to right. So it's literally written backwards, and the author's name is Altus. Hmm. The first is, appropriately, a reference to Jacob's Ladder, thus setting up the Mutus Libra as a kind of divine revelation, again, awakening us 
from our slumber. The other references, as also appropriate as we'll see, are references to the Tal Hashemayim, the dew of the heaven. And that reference there to the tribes of Zebulun and Issachar might also be because of the verse that follows the one listed here by the Mutus Liber, for they draw from the riches of the sea in the hidden hordes of the sand. Again, imagery about sort of extracting some kind of treasure from nature itself. It's imagery that populates the silent book. It's also worth noting here that these verses represent some of the only biblical or Christian imagery more generally. The rest, of course, of this text is populated with classical Greco-Roman symbolism, an interesting contrast between the two, but not really at all unusual since the late 15th and especially the 16th century in alchemical literature. Plate two is divided into two altitudes, perhaps reflecting the good old hermetic principle, as above, so below, the relationship, of course, of the macrocosm and the microcosm. In the top altitude, two angels are standing upon an ocean holding aloft the hermetic egg containing Poseidon Neptune, flanked by gold and silver, respectively. <clears throat> okay. Angels descending to and fro through the dimensions. Now, they got Poseidon. Who is that? It's, this, it's the God-man, okay? Inside of what looks like a, well, I'll just say a seed of life, S-P-E-R-M. And it's gold and silver inside. One of his feet rests upon a watery dolphin, and the one is elevated into the air. The water imagery here, perhaps mercurial in its symbolism, but also probably perhaps representing the Via Humida in the book in general, the way of wetness in alchemical theory. In the lower altitude, flanked by heavy drapes and a windowless room, the alchemists kneel before the transformatory furnace or the Athenor in prayer. His alchemical companion, the famed Soror Mystica, seems a bit more animated. She's actually reaching up to touch the foot of the angel on the right, perhaps in a kind of prophetic or sibylline ecstasy. The furnace itself is divided into three sections, the lower flame here a mere lamp, perhaps preheating the vessels in general, above which sits the funnel, another watery symbol, then the terrestrial hermetic vestal, mirror the celestial vessel, itself divided into two altitudes, and the top of the castle-like Athenor features three flues. Again, nothing's accidental in this imagery. Plate three provides us an image of the Mutus Liber's general cosmology, descending from the celestial world dominated by the sun, moon, and Zeus Jupiter, is the airy world of Juno with her peacock, a favorite image of the color transformation in the alchemical process, which we don't see a ton here in this text book, along with ten birds which fly near the sun, below which a mermaid swims in the primordial waters, again perhaps the mercurial materia prima. In the next circle is the terrestrial world, flanked by bull and ram, the astrological importance of which will become a bit more clear in a moment, but again, we find here celestial symbols upon the earth and vice versa. Recall that alchemy is sometimes referred to astrologia inferior, that is to say, lower astrology. 
church and castle also flank each other, further representations of transformatory earthly power. A similar motif can also be found on the frontispiece of Hobbes's famous book, Leviathan. Above a female figure sits with five potted flowers and five flowers growing out of the earth. Again, perhaps a union of art and nature in the alchemical process. At the bottom, a man and a woman attempt to capture the watery mermaid with a Neptunian trident and a fishing rod, perhaps again to establish the fixedness of the volatile mercurial substrate. The center is, oddly enough, another watery scene, again emphasizing the via humida. The man in the boat is rowing while the woman is attempting to catch something from the sea, all the while they're connected by a rope or a lashing to Poseidon Neptune a bond that will need to be broken in the alchemical process, as we'll see again in a later plate. Again, the cosmology is one of upper and lower realms, inner and outer realms, all interacting, reflecting one another, but also being captured and transformed by the alchemical art. It's a very hermetic world in which all these elements are echoed as like a fractal within and without. Without a doubt, plate four is the most famous and thus the most reproduced plate of the Mutis Liber. Here, the alchemists are wringing out large sheets of fabric, which have been suspended just above the ground to collect morning dew. There are six such cloths, probably arranged like a triangle. There's some Pythagorean vibes here, all flanked by a bull and a ram, likely the astrological period in which the dew should be collected, roughly from March the 20th, or the start of spring through May 20th. Sun and moon also appear on the right and left, and this may be further astrological timing with the Sol and Aries and Luna and Taurus, but it's not quite clear how to read it. But the center is dominated by the celestial radiation, the stellar rays pouring down upon the earth, infusing one side of those cloths with those stellar rays, a la Alkindi, or pseudo-Alkindi as it might turn out, while the underside of the cloths are absorbing the terrestrial dew. Again, the flow of the dew up from the earth and the stellar rays down to infuse the higher and lower worlds in this Neptunic liquid, perhaps as a kind of mercurial prima materia. We have both being reflected here. Further, the dew of May is linked with mercury in contemporary text and digested for two weeks in the heat of horse dung, then distilled, and it's actually said to have the power to reduce metals to their primal states. Again, this is a simple image, but one rich, rich in hermetic symbolism, if not a minority position in the alchemical literature for the production of the materia prima. Plate five takes us back into the alchemical lab. Note now windows and columns are now present in at least this part or this area of the alchemical laboratory. The windows being the connection between inside and outside and the columns perhaps connecting the higher and lower worlds. Can I just say, <clears throat> as a reminder, and I, I'm not gonna interrupt this too much because I know that this is going on long. There's a couple more interruptions I have to make. But remember to look at this through the lens that this is an instruction for, let's say, a small group of people, like maybe 300, that control everything. So 
with the entrance of the columns, the Masonic columns and the windows and all the different imagery that you're going to get here, it's actually an instruction to build out that infrastructure. Do you see? It's, it's the instruction to the 300 to say, okay, create all these lodges, create all these things, get all these initiates in. It's a much higher picture. And only a few people will get that in the entire world. Okay, back to it. Now, as a kind of alchemical strip cartoon, the companions pour the collected dew into an alembic. Oh, uh, did I mention? Yeah, yeah, I think you caught that. The dew is the primal, the main uh, chemical. Remember, right in Genesis, there was only the dew of the earth, and then he creates man, like the next verse. The dew that came up from the earth. Pay attention. But listen to this, and I'm going to stop it right after he says it, but listen to how casually this gentleman says something horrific. Just subjected to a rather intense fire. Again, the intensity of a fire is always of concern in alchemical practice. That liquid is then driven off and collected by the man while the woman spoons out the residue with a spoon into a flask marked by what looks a bit like cloud signs. This vessel is then given over to lunar Saturn, standing upon a clod of earth, holding the child that he will, of course, devour. This terrestrial dominated compound is perhaps... <laughs> uh, of course, he's going to just devour the child, but hey, let's go back to this compound. Yeah, chemicals. Did you catch that? The sacrifice, and they're showing it in the lab where they create the initiates, where the pillars are. Alchemical salt as conceived in the Paracelsian tradition, but not clear. It's going to be reintroduced, however, near the end of the total alchemical process, so it's not going to be abandoned. They're going to combine all of this at the end. The bottom altitude shows the male alchemist pouring the dew distillate into a complex reflux still, as the Soror Mystica effect says and loops all the stillheads, all four of the stillheads. The roaring fire is probably heating a very elaborate water bath or bain-marie, again developed thousands of years earlier by the Alexandrian alchemist Maria the Jewess. So, a lot of alchemical tradition in this text. This process of circulation will probably continue for 40 days, the famed alchemical month, as noted by the number just below the apparatus. 40 days? Why did Jesus choose to fast for 40 days? But this whole process takes more than a year. And so don't get caught up in the different elementals as much. Please don't get caught up in that so much. Just keep listening. Plate six has the alchemical companions retrieving the results of the 40-day circulation process 
before placing it into another alembic for distillation. Within that alembic, a flower appears, probably a specific change in the color, although these plates aren't colored, and when they are colored, the colors don't seem to have alchemical significance, before the distillate is collected and the residue of this process is again gathered by the Soror Mystica. By the way, the flower looks like a lotus to me. This residue marked by the flower sign is put into a round bottom flask, which is in turn given over to Solar Apollo. This solar residue is perhaps the Paracelsian sulfur or the active principle. Meanwhile, the residue captured in the cloud flask is being shown as ev evaporated and pulverized in the first scene of plate seven. After being reduced to powder, it's then washed with the previous distillate, apparently gathered on plate. Evaporated and pulverized to steal the will of man, to take them away, to make them a slave to the system. Are your taxes evaporating your life right now? <laughs> Are they taking away stuff, but they've made you desire so much more? in life, but they're taking it away and they're pulverizing you right now. Six, which is then itself heated to dry and then collected by the Soror Mystica in a vessel marked by star shapes. Note that in the first step, the Soror Mystica is holding the funnel first found in the transmutation furnace, the Athenor, possibly indicating that it might need to be filtered somehow or that then there's some watery process that we're not seeing. The bottommost series on plate seven details the entire hitherto alchemical process, though in allegorical form, because, because alchemy. Saturn is subjected to purification by fire, washed with purified distillate before the pure starry extract is presented over to divine Luna. Note that the core between himself and the final essence is being cut. That's the very core we saw back at the center of plate three, the cosmological. And notice, for those of you who are looking, uh, there's like essentially three scenes, and it's it, it's it's Satan, you know, there with a with a uh, a baby, and he's hugging the baby in kind of the barrel, and then he has the baby, and he has a sword, and he's handing it over to the devil. I don't know, I don't get it. I don't want to focus on this. plate. Plates two and four through seven, not counting the cosmological plate, seem to represent a distinct process with plate eight starting a further one. Or plate eight capitulates symbolically the previous ones. Not clear. But here on plate eight, similar to plate two, we find the angels now suspended well above the water, high into the air and flanked by two sets of five birds. The left bearing the symbol for sulfur, and the other, the star symbol, perhaps the result of the previous process. Now, Hermes is within the Hermetic Egg, standing atop the earth of gold and silver, bearing a somewhat unusual ten snake caduceus. The snakes extending from it, laterally, rather than wrapped around it, as is more normal. Down in the terrestrial world, however, the alchemical companions are in the same postures, though the Soror Mystica's hand doesn't quite reach all the way to the upper world any longer. However, the heavy drapes have now been pulled back, revealing two windows, 
and they are now flanked by columns. The window and the columns probably functioning here as alchemical symbols themselves. The same athenor or furnace of transmutation is present, though no flame of any kind is lit beneath it. We are then taking back to the fields in plate nine, probably a whole year later while the first essence is digested. By the way, there was no flame in the furnace, but the uh, man and the woman were on either sides of the furnace on their knees. Just saying. In the furnace of transmutation, probably being heated by the own stellar rays that they captured in the very beginning of the process. But now, six large vats arranged, again, in a triangular order, flanked by the bull and the ram. Sun and moon are also present, again, while all the astral rays stream down. But here, rather than the cloths absorbing the dew rising up from the earth, these vats seem to be for capturing precipitation falling to the earth from above. Again, a classic hermetic balancing act of the terrestrial and stellar realms, all infused with astral celestial power. The collected contents of these are then gathered over and given to Hermes. Back in the alchemical lab, the star and flower essences are measured to equal parts, combined into one flask, before the mercurial waters just collected are then added and combined with them. With these... Star and flower mixture. That's kind of like the... Uh super race isn't it angels are also called stars flower the bread of life the transmutation as above so below i could go into where this you know what i'm just gonna make a couple statements at the end of this and be done with it i don't want to scare y'all three elements combined into the alchemical egg. Again, the three here, the three elements speaks to the underlying <coughs> Celsian roots of this alchemical theory at work in the Mutus Liber. The neck of the glass egg is sealed with a blowtorch. Blowtorch, he's blowing into it. That's where, you know, blowtorch. Before being placed into the transmutational furnace. In the lower panel again, we see the uh, entire process symbolically represented in an allegory. The solar and lunar principles are bound in the alchemical egg with the number 10 close to both. Just to the left is a small rendition of the cosmology from plate two, showing how the hermetic egg contains the all within the one, the one within the all, the upper and lower realms, both represented in the sealed world of the alchemical process itself. Again, it's such beautifully balanced imagery. Plate 11, similar to plate 2 and 8, show us the angels brought up even higher. The birds flanking them now bear the sign of sublimated sulfur on the left, that is to say sulfur removed of all of its impurities, perfected philosophical sulfur, often connected with philosophical gold, along with a star sign on the other side. Within the egg, Hermes no longer stands on the earth. He's elevated. He now stands upon pure silver and gold, the gold and silver of art rather than nature. Below, the alchemical companions take similar gestures as before. A gentle fire now burns in the furnace of transmutation, while the drapes and the columns are now totally absent, though two new oval windows have appeared. Even their world is undergoing transmutation. 
now it seems that a near repeat of the previous cycle is undertaken. Plate 12, at least in the 1677 edition, is virtually a reprint of Plate 9, though in the 1702 edition, rocky soil has now been replaced with vegetation. But again, the vats are decanted and presented over to Hermes, just the same. Again, plate 13 is similar to plate 10, but here a star and sun essence is placed into the balance pans, combined and then mixed with the mercurial addition again. Another hermetic egg apparently is again sealed with the blowtorch and placed into the Athenor, the furnace of transmutation. The allegory below is again similar to plate 10, though the cosmological globe is larger and the single 10 beside the figures now shows orders of magnitude from 10. Admittedly, the addition of these two plates is a bit perplexing to me. More perplexing than the rest of the perplexing things. They seem to represent a third final process of gathering, but that would be weirdly offset the balance achieved previously that I just mentioned. Further, once the egg is sealed, hermetically sealed, it can't be opened, otherwise it would botch the whole process. Are there several hermetic eggs at work in the process here? Again, these plates never show if the hermetic egg is to be opened or how the products of plates 13 and 10 are supposed to really interact, if at all. What do the orders of magnitude mean? Are they additions or are they dilutions, as McLean points to? The projective power of the stone produced, that is to say, often a very small amount of the philosopher's stone is actually used to produce huge quantities of gold and silver. Are these those ratios? And why is the cosmological diagram larger in the second representation? Again, I don't have any great answers to this, but this is, you know, classic Club Dumas, Ninth Gate territory, so have fun with your interpretations. Plate 14 appears to bring the whole drama, the whole process to an end, but the symbolism here is rather obscure, more obscure. We now find three furnaces of transmutation, or one with varying degrees of heat, it's not terribly clear, but also notice that the drapes have reappeared, perhaps symbolizing the conclusion of this matter as if we're on a stage and the, the show's coming to a close. Or perhaps the drapes represent something being obscured from us, or something going on behind the scenes, so to speak. Below, three figures are seen, the male and female alchemists, but also now a child, mocked off by his tennis racket and ball. Perhaps the child here is a representative of the fusion of the principles at work or even the philosopher's stone itself. Though all are prepared to be trimming their wicks or either pouring the contents of their flasks into something or filling them, Schrodinger's flask, perhaps with oil all flanked by Roman numerals, again, perhaps representation of durations. Also, Roman numerals and Arabic numerals may have some distinction we don't understand. Below them, a mortar and pestle marked by a shell and a snake along with crucibles and a balancing pan are arrayed in the center. Lunar and solar vessels are sealed within blast furnaces with four parts solar to one part lunar and vice versa in each blasting furnace. It's likely given other alchemical texts that this would have been the moment where a small amount of philosophical gold and silver are actually added as seeds in the process of multiplication and projection but it's anyone's guess. I'm thinking what that's what the mortar and pestle is there for. These are then perhaps combined in the balance pans below, gathered together in the, in the center vessel, denoted by the sign of the philosopher's mercury, the great stone that is not a stone, the stone of transmutation. 
But the alchemic companions are not of much help to us here. They gesture above, their lips are sealed, and the urgeth only to pray, read, 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 read again, labor, and discover. While prayer comes first, it's noticed that it's bested by a four to one ratio of reading. So Godspeed and good luck. The final 15th plate brings us back full circle. The sun now sits at midday, the angels laying a wreath upon the Zeus figure as he sails into the air. He holds the previous spiny roses with them. Now a floral border has replaced the outer side border of the first plate. The alchemical companions hold the rope in his hand while clutching one another's, announcing, provided with eyes, you depart. No longer in the need of Jacob's ladder, it's now lying horizontal in the rear, below which maybe the dying Hercules clad in the Nessus shirt that killed him has the sun and moon rising above him. Other authors have taken this character to be Hermes, although I think it could just as well be the sleeping Jacob figure from the first image. Recall in that first image, water was rushing in as he slept. Perhaps he wasn't awakened and had drowned. A lesson to those who do not listen to the lessons of the Mutus Liber. Regardless, midday has come, sight has replaced sleep, the ascent has been made, spiny roses are transformed, the singular dead Hercules or Hermes or Jacob are now united, masculine and feminine, all basked in smiling solar radiance. While enigmatic, the Mutus Liber concludes on a note of balance, joy, triumph, and deep pleasure. And it's no wonder it's proven as popular as it has. You have no idea how much of this stuff I've had to read and look into. <laughs> Did you catch, for those of you looking, I think he described it pretty well, but the completion of the process. Um, that's the rise of the Antichrist. And of course, being able to go to and from without Jacob's ladder, without God's permission. wants to storm the gates. He wants to sit on the throne just like God, remember. And his battle plans are to get there. And I think if you paid attention to that and you look at it as instructions for the few who are controlling things, You'll have new eyes to see. And then when you look at it from a wider gap and you step back and you see everything that has been put in this world is about the transmutation of society. In the end of that, did you see male and female had become one? The transgender agenda. I'm not stretching this, folks. It's all about transhumanism. It's all about steal, kill, and destroy. If you become not human 
by changing your DNA or by putting a chip in your brain and connecting to the cloud, they will want to die, it says in Revelation, but they will not find death. You ever see that? You ever see that part? Satan is a legalist. He uses God's word to the best of his ability against God. He'll say, they're not yours. They willfully and intentionally chose to do these things. You know, you've been told that there's certain fast foods and stuff like that that are no good for you. You've known it all your life, practically. Not as much as you do now, but you've known it all your life. But yet sometimes we, and myself included, willfully go there and we pay them for it. Our intention is there. Be not of this world. Live in it, but you have to live in God's kingdom in it. And man, we've uh, we've got a big hole we have to climb out of as some people who have gone, you know, been programmed all our lives, been dependent on things. We're not going out and finding things for ourselves. We're not hunting ourselves. Most of us aren't. You know, we're not growing our own. We're dependent on the world for everything. And that is the transmutation. Now, part of the other transmutation, I'm just going to put this out. I'm not going to dwell on it because it's scary as heck. Um, you know, when we talked, when I taught about the NAR stuff, I talked about Joel's army and the manifest sons of God and stuff like that. Well, I really do believe that they believe they are creating a super race and they've been breeding hybrids below, <laughs> yes, above, so below hybrids and stuff. And then there's going to be people who choose to not be fully human themselves. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, hopefully it's quick and swift, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Uh, and a promotion. Remember, it's a promotion. Uh, let me just... Oh, yeah, I have to tell you what the, the secret of the gold man. The secret of the gold man is to enslave you in this world. Because that's the alchemy of the transmutation of this world is to have you not depend on God or not choose God in any way to choose what Satan and this world offers you. This whole world has been transmutated and the deception is going to become even greater because you're going to see some of these people rise who actually turn into the gold men.
as above, so below. And uh, for the sake of the elect, God's going to cut that time short. So praise God. Hey, I'm going to play a really short video. It's going to, it's just a good way to end this alchemy. It's really super short. It's like a minute long. Um, before I do, if you do appreciate the work I do, uh, there's some links in the description. Uh, I have a patron that's through Podbean, right on radio.podbean.com. You can hit the patron uh, there and you can be a monthly supporter. It is billed through the speaker's company. Uh, and I also have a PayPal link. Not many people use it, but PayPal comes in pretty handy, uh, especially when I want to cover some of my expenses as well. But the uh, the monthly is definitely something I can count on. And, and even through Rumble now, you can click if you're in chat, you can click and support that way as well. Thank you for prayerfully considering supporting the show. I have to ask folks because this is what I do for a living now. Um, you know, I do other things cause the podcast has never paid the bills, but I, uh, I'm still thankful for what I have. And, uh, and somehow the Lord has sustained me all the way through it. And a lot of it is from you. So God bless each and every one of you support. Uh, this video was sent to me in an email and this is from Linda and it's just a really short Instagram video. The sound will do fine. It's just a guy talking into a microphone. Uh, for those of you listening, but it's just a, a good way to uh, wrap this up, I do believe. My wife shared this with me this morning. I want to bless you with it too. There was a group of women studying the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. They get to verse 3 that says God will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. They were puzzled. They're like, what does that mean about the character and the nature of God? One of the women says, all right, I'm going to go find out about the process of refining silver and I'll come back. I'll tell you at the next Bible study. She calls a silversmith and makes an appointment to watch him work. She watches him hold this silver in the fire and heat it up. He's explaining when you refine silver, you've got to hold that thing right in the hottest part of the fire, right in the middle, because that's how you burn away the impurities. The woman thinks about God holding us in such a hot spot. Thinking about that verse, how he sits as the refiner and purifier of silver. So she asked the silversmith, is it true that you have to sit here the entire time while the silver's being purified? He explained, yes, not only do I have to hold it here in the hottest part, but I have to keep my eye on it the whole time. Because if the silver's left in the flames for just a moment too long, it'll be damaged. The woman sat there for a minute thinking and then asked, how do you know when the silver is fully refined? The silversmith smiled. He said, that's easy when I can see my image in it. If you are feeling the heat of the world's fire today, Remember that God's got his eye on you. If this blessed you, type amen and share it with someone you care about, someone who could use it. God has to keep his eye on you in your refining process. And he knows when it's done, when he sees his image reflecting back. What a beautiful sentiment. Thanks for being here, everyone. Remember, love your God. Love your family. Love your neighbor as yourself. And share this with someone and make a difference in your community.